0: You're listening to a sermon in our series, Fully Alive, as we go through the book of Colossians. Visit com for more. Well, as Rich said, we are in the final stretch through our book of Colossians, and we covered what a fully alive marriage under Jesus' leadership would look like last week, and this week we want to talk about uh, families, and... uh Um, And this is such a personal area, something we can all relate to. Um, Even though not all of us in this room have children, we all have parents. Uh, Some of us uh, will become parents at some other point. Um, Others of us relate to children. And frankly, uh, here in the body of Christ, in the community of faith, all of us should be uh, concerned to some degree with connecting with children, because they are a part of our body and our community here, and we impact them, all of us, I think, in more ways than we can can imagine. So all of us connect, maybe at differing degrees, but we all connect to this topic of families and, uh, and children and parents. Just you stand? I'm going to read the text for this morning, and Don't zone out, because if you zone out, you're going to miss it. It's just two verses. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's page 984. We are at Colossians 3, verses 20 through 21. Two statements, one to children and one to fathers. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. This is God's word. Pray with me. Father, we do come here this morning from many different places and many different experiences. Some good, maybe some not as good. Um, So whatever need exists here this morning, Father, whatever um, word that you want to communicate, I pray that there would be a moment in the service where we would each hear from you and experience you. Um, Father, most of us, when it comes to family, can relate to some point of pain in our lives, something that's not worked out or materialized the way that we wanted to, or perhaps that we have friends that are experiencing that. So I pray that we can learn together as a community. Lord, those that are non-Christians can learn about what, a redeemed family would look like. Lord, those of us that are believers would be able to allow the lordship of Jesus to seep uh, more deeply into um, our lives where nobody else sees us but our family. And uh, so we need you today. I need you today. Lead us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, you can take a seat. All right, what I'm going to do this morning is spend a little time on verse 20, spend a little time on verse 21, and then funny a little bit uh, for the dads at the end, particularly the dads. Um, and uh, as usual, I turn two verses into more, um, more words than I, I really should say in our given time, so I'm going to do my best here this morning. But there's really a lot to say even in just those two verses. Now, in verse 20, if you look at the, back in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 6, there is a very similar verse, very similar instruction to the one here in Colossians 3. I'll I'll read it to you. This is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. So, same instruction, just a little more expansion here. And what Paul is referencing is he is referencing the Ten Commandments. It's interesting. The Ten Commandments, in outline form, provide a moral and a spiritual fabric, here he says, for what? would help a society flourish and prosper. And so he quotes the fifth commandment, which is to honor or to respect or to value your parents. The fifth commandment is the hinge point in the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments are all vertical. They speak to how we relate to God. And then the next six commandments, Are horizontal. They speak to how we relate to one another. And the sixth commandment is the, or the fifth is the hinge honor your parents. And so we have to ask this question why is this one first in that lineup? And I think the point is very clear that family, family is the beginning point. Of relationships. We learn how to love in the context of family. And family is where truth or a worldview is primarily passed on from one generation to the next. That's why it begins there. And it's so interesting, if families are the cornerstone for culture, it's interesting Why does the commandment focus on children obeying their parents? I mean, one would think it would be the other way around, since parents are primarily responsible, that it would be parents, love your children. Now, I don't know perfectly the heart of God. I'm not certain on why it is that way. But let me suggest one theory. By saying children obey your parents this commandment underscores the authority that is in the home. And by establishing authority in the home, God is placing protective barriers around the family. In other words, the family is its own relational unit. And God is telling, in one sense, other institutions like The government, or like even the church, never violate the sacred space of the family. So, children, some of you are, most of our kids are eating pancakes right now. But when children obey their parents, when they respect their rules, when they value God's place in their lives, they are really pleasing to God because they are helping to protect the sacred space of this thing called family. And when children honor their parents, a boomerang effect takes place. Follow this with me. I believe that honoring parents is actually the beginning place of self-respect on the part of the child and self-honor for the child. You know, one of the greatest ways a parent can build self-respect in their children, is to insist that they respect them. Now, I know that that sounds counterintuitive, but let me explain what I mean by this. I am not saying insist that they love you, for that would be impossible. You cannot insist on someone loving you. But when you are in a place of authority, You can insist that someone respect you. Now, I know this breaks down, and I know it breaks down terribly in families. For example, when this is done in an egotistical way, or when it's done because the parent is insecure and must have the approval of the child, or when this is done with an iron fist, this insisting on respect. But when insisting on respect is done with gentle perseverance. When a parent does not let a child disregard their authority, here's what they're doing. They're actually teaching the child that human life is valuable and that relationships are valuable and that boundaries are needed to make those relationships work. When we allow children to disregard authority, it sends a subtle message to the child that boundaries can be easily disregarded and trampled upon. What this produces is a loss of identity. A child does not have a clear sense of where they begin and where others come in. They lose a clear sense of self. This is why children are insecure without guidelines, clear guidelines. So the failure for parents to insist upon respect teaches children by silence that life itself is nothing more than, what, than getting what one desires in a moment, or in the moment. What's the effect on this? It cheapens the view of life. A child in this environment subconsciously draws a conclusion that they are nothing more than a bundle of desires. That's all human life is. That's all. That's what they're taught subconsciously. I'm just a bundle of desires. But when a child is taught, when they're taught to practice self-restraint, to tell them that they cannot have everything that they want in the moment, That is to exercise authority in a child's life. And when done under God's leadership, by virtue of establishing a boundary, a child gets a clear view of themselves and how relationships actually work in life. And this, what this does in actuality, this nurtures self-respect in the child. And this nurtures self-honor in the child. You know we tend to think that children learn self respect and self honor by giving them whatever they want. It actually has the exact opposite effect now we 're going to talk a little bit more about this here in our next section we're going we 're kind of aiming this at children but we 're going to be talking about parents here in just a moment so this is what happens when a, in a christ centered home a redeemed home where Jesus has been invited to lead the family this is how honor and respect both bless the parents, but they boomerang back. And they have an effect that produces confidence in the children. Now, let's look at verse 21. That's verse 20. Let's turn to verse 21. And that, let's turn our attention away from children now to parents. And what I'd like to do is to read this from, I like the Amplified Bible, it's a little bit of an expanded version. And here is what Colossians 3:21 says in this version. It says fathers do not provoke or irritate or exasperate your children with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating and abusive nor by favoritism or indifference treat them tenderly with loving kindness so that they will not lose heart and become discouraged or unmotivated with their spirits broken Wow. So you see, what we've done here is we've established some boundaries. We've established the sense that the Bible underlays this foundation of authority in the home. But now we turn to the responsibility of parents. Now, again, look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, just a few pages back, in this sister passage. Ephesians 6 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And here he adds a little bit, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, what I'd like to do is combine these two verses, and I would like to establish what I believe to be the goal of parenting in one sentence. And then in another sentence, the primary detours to effective parenting. And then thirdly, the solution to that problem. So here's what I see to be the goal of parenting based on these scriptures. Here's the goal. Confident and independent children that love God, love others, and honor themselves. Here is the goal. Now again, as parents, we cannot control the outcome of this. But we can work towards this end. Loving God. Loving others, honoring themselves, and confident and independent, independent in a good way. So what's the problem? What gets detoured with this? The problem is that there are patterns of parenting that we borrow from the world, the culture, our tradition, the way we were raised, that are not touched by the leadership of Jesus. They're left unredeemed. And what that results in, in children's spirits that are broken from two primary sources, either anger or neglect. One of those two. Anger or neglect. And then thirdly, so what is the solution? And here's your here's the outline for the next part of the message. And that is that parents view their children and view parenting as a sacred trust. It isn't something just entered into because we've, felt like it. It's a sacred trust. And we work intentionally to not exasperate them, according to the scripture. And then it's not just what we don't do, it's what we do. We shepherd their hearts. We shepherd their hearts. So let's break these three down now, these three elements down to work through the rest of our message. Here's the first one. Again, parenting is a sacred calling. Parenting is a sacred calling. And when God gives a a, a man and a woman a child, it is an amazing thing. And it is a sacred trust that God gives to them. Parenting is not a separate activity from serving God. We serve God through our parenting. Look at this. Here's one scripture. There's others like this from Psalm 127. Here the writer said that children are a gift, are an heritage from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. I mean, children are so valued. We live in a culture that continually disregards and devalues children. It either devalues them or idolizes them, one or the other. Um, The leadership of Jesus actually shows us a third way that avoids idolizing children, but on the other hand, also avoids devaluing and disregarding them. It shows us a different way. But when you enter into parenting, you cooperate with God. Amazing. You co-create with God in bringing new life into the world. You see, it's important that we understand this because we sometimes, parents, even believing parents, have children for reasons they've not really thought this through. Now, by the way, I'm not discouraging you to not have children. I'm encouraging you to have children. They are an incredible blessing. They are an amazing blessing. And I'm not discouraging you from having children. But what I'm suggesting here is that it's important we think through why. And we look at it from the perspective of Jesus' leadership in our lives. I was looking up even secular reasons, wrong reasons, that people have kids. For example, to fit in. Having kids to feel like you fit in. Having a kid to feel like you can keep up with your peers. Or maybe it's pressure from your parents. Or maybe it's boredom. Or maybe it's filling some deep, deep, deep emotional void. Or maybe you want someone to dress up. Or maybe you want someone to become a professional uh, athlete. Or some, something academically. Or professionally. These reasons do not capture the sacred calling from God. And with the wrong purpose, what happens? We become less intentional about our parenting. We become less intentional We become less deliberate. We don't reflect on why we do what we do. And so what do we do when we're not reflective? When we don't allow the scriptures to speak into our parenting, which the Bible says a great deal about parenting. Well, we just do what was done to us. Or we borrow from tradition. Or we borrow from the latest conventional wisdom. Now, sometimes the way that you were raised and sometimes conventional wisdom overlaps with the scriptures. And that's a good thing. Oftentimes and many times, the scriptures, in the way they approach parenting, actually detail a different or a divergent plan than what conventional wisdom does. When you understand that parenting is a sacred calling, you're really in tune and paying attention. God, how do you want me to do this? What does the leadership of Jesus look like? This is what Paul was trying to do with these new Christians they had a certain way of constructing their family based on the Roman way of life and Roman tradition. And Paul is getting them to think a lot differently on what would a family look like that is being led by Jesus. That's what we're, that's what we're after. Okay, let's look at that next point. The second point it's kind of stated in the negative is how can we not exasperate our children? How can we not exasperate them? And I really liked what one author here says. Uh, wrote it was John MacArthur. I'm just going to run through these fairly quickly, but he gives ten reasons how we can exasperate our children. So again, I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. Number one is we can exasperate them through overprotection. Man, this is so relevant now. This is a little bit because in our culture, one of the, one of the ways that we, one of the emphases of our culture is we end up idolizing our children. We make our children the ultimate purpose for our lives. And when you make your child the ultimate purpose for why you're alive, you end up becoming a helicopter parent. You end up hovering over them. You end up micromanaging their lives. And this is one of the things that I I struggled with deeply, and frankly, I still struggle with this. And that is that as parents, we're called to parent by faith, by faith, not worry. Not fear, not control. A lot of us parent motivated by impulses of worry, by impulses of fear, and by impulses of control. And that's not parenting by faith. God wants us to parent by faith. Second, parents can exasperate their children by showing favoritism. Man, we could talk a long time about this one. I wish we could talk more about this one. It can be exasperating. It can break the spirit of your child when we parent by favoritism. Some of you grew up with that. You understand that, how hurtful and painful it is. I mentioned this first service, and again, I, I, don't, I, I need to connect here with some of you that are younger. I know this is a, uh, like a 45-plus illustration. But there was a comedy team when I grew up. Their whole shtick was based on favoritism. They were called the Smothers Brothers. And they were absolutely, stunningly hilarious. And of course, you know, good comedy comes out of what? What does all good comedy come out of? Yeah, it comes out of pain. Yeah. And they had this whole thing about, you know, mom always liked you best. And favoritism, we see examples of it in the scriptures. The, you know, one of, the, one of the great families of the Bible, Isaac and Rebecca. And you know the story there, they each had their favorite and it created disaster. And then because it was unchecked, Jacob, who had 12 sons, did the same thing to the next generation by favoring Joseph. And the impact, again, was devastating on that. Parents, you may be drawn to a certain gender in your family. You may be drawn to a certain personality. Some of that is normal. But you've got to make sure and work hard that you love each and every child and make sure they feel your love in a personal and unique way and avoid favoritism. It can break the spirit of those that are on the wrong side. Thirdly, parents can exasperate their children by depreciating their worth. Some of the studies that are being done here recently uh, in the secular world are describing how children feel burdened. How many children feel burdened. And again, this is largely due not so much maybe from anger as it is from neglect and indifferent from two parents that are way too busy and are way too overcommitted and not engage with their kids. And the result of that is the kids sometimes end up becoming caretakers. And they become way, way overburdened. And they feel that sense of not being loved because the parents are both way overcommitted in other areas, and that depreciates the value. Fourth, parents can exasperate their children by setting unrealistic goals. Kids need to feel like they can succeed in something. Kids need to feel in some areas that they have gained. Parents, kids need to feel that they've gained your full approval in some areas. Sure, there'll be areas that you're working on, but there needs to be areas where they sense they have your complete and full affirmation and approval. Number five, parents can exasperate their children by failing to show affection. I'm a little challenged in knowing how to address this because I know that we're all different. And uh it's not a pastor's job to try to make you like me or or vice versa. Um, for some people being affectionate is very intuitive. It comes easy. For others, it's just its a lot more challenging. And so you have to be able to apply this uh, to the person uh, that you are. But let me approach it from the standpoint of need. Uh, perhaps you've convinced yourself that you, because you're not a touchy-feely person, that you can never hug your child. And what I want to encourage you to do, if that's describes you is I want to encourage you to get out of your comfort zone because you more than likely have one child if you have multiple children you've got one child who their love language is touch and they have been longing and they have been aching for a hug from you you might have to leave your comfort zone I'm not asking you to become like someone that you're not but I'm asking you to be need-based first not think about primarily yourself, but to think about their needs. Figure out who needs that hug and be willing to hug. Again, if you have one or more children, this is probably most kids. I'm not sure it's just a love language, but most kids need to hear the words, I love you. They need to hear the words, I'm proud of you. You may not feel like you're a wordy kind of person. That might feel scary. It might feel intimate to you. You may have never heard those words yourself. And so it feels like a foreign language to try to communicate that to your children. But I want to encourage you to find strength and grace through the leadership of Jesus. To be able to look a child in the eyes and say, I love you. To say, I'm proud of you. If you've never done that and your children are older, it's very likely that you have kids in your family that are longing and that are aching to hear those words. I love you. I'm proud of you. And friends, by the way, this is something that for many of us here who we may not have children or our parents may be deceased, um, this is also the kind of way that we love one another too as members of the body of Christ. Um, This is the way that we can include and involve single men and women Um, we all need this kind of love and this kind of affirmation. And we can find this. Sometimes a family can't provide it. But we can find it in the body of Christ to love, to affirm, I'm proud of you. I love you. A hug can meet so many aches and hurts. It's amazing the healing that can take place from a word well-spoken, from a hug in the right moment. Six, some parents exasperate their children by not meeting their needs. Here's the other side of it. It's not only words, it's not only um, uh, expressions of love or hugs, but we also, as parents, we're called called to lose ourselves and to meet our children's needs. To meet their needs. This is going to mean that we end up losing a lot of things. This is going to mean we end up sacrificing a lot. See, this is what I mean when I when I say that when we have parents or when we have kids because it's the thing to do or because it's, you know, it seems like it'd be fun. Um, you know, I want to throw a ball with my kid or I want to dress her up. You see, when we have that mentality, we're not counting the cost of what it's going to take to raise a child. And... It means that we meet their physical needs because we're the parent. It means clean clothes. It means a place for privacy, a place to play, a place to study. It means good meals. It means trip to the doctors and the dentist. It means paying attention to emotional and mental needs when they are not expressed and not simply just shoving them off like they're being overdramatic, but paying attention to expressions of mental and emotional needs. It's going to take a lot more time than what you ever thought it would. It's going to take a lot more energy than you ever pictured to fulfill this sacred calling of parenting, meeting those needs. I love the story. And this is, by the way, a great story for any of you that are single parents in this whole deal and you're wondering, you know, how can I accomplish this? I finished a book recently and had the opportunity to meet um, uh, a man named um, J.D. Vance. And uh, J.D. Vance, if you were watching CNN on Election Day or other news stations, you saw him all over the news. And uh, J.D. Vance wrote a book called Hillbilly Elegy. And J.D. Vance was, a, it was, in a sense, or is a hillbilly from the hills of Kentucky and then lived in Middletown and uh, grew up in an incredibly dysfunctional family. But his sophomore, junior, and senior year, he lived with his grandmother And his grandmother provided him these things. And what we've learned from studies is that if children have stability, rules, an anchor, a place to study, that they'll do well. Well, J.D. Vance um, uh, went to the Marines for four years after high school. Then he finished his undergraduate at Ohio State in less than, just a little over two years. And then he went to Harvard Law School, and graduated with honors, he was actually a member of the Harvard uh, Editorial Board, which is a, 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 a prestigious position, and, uh, uh, and then wrote this book, Hillbilly Elegy," which became a New York Times bestseller because it helped to understand what was going on in the election. That's why he was all over the news. Well, the point here is that there was somebody in his life that provided these needs so that he could excel. Seven, parents exasperate their children by a lack of standards. I've already commented on this on the first 15 minutes. Eighth, parents exasperate their children by excessive criticism. One psychologist said that a child learns what he lives. If he lives with criticism, he does not learn responsibility. He learns to condemn himself and find fault with others. He learns to doubt his own judgment, disparage his own ability, and distrust the intention. Of others, nine parents exasperate their children through neglect. Okay, it's not just anger or harsh criticism, but as I mentioned, the other way that we can fall off, the other way we can go wrong, is not just through anger or through criticism or to our our bad state or you know unrealistic expectations, but we can also miss the mark, redeemed parenting through inattention, through neglect, through over permissiveness by not being involved by not being engaged in the lives of our children. We saw, again, the scriptures. One amazing example of that was King David, whose life was commendable in so many ways, except his parenting. And he had one particular son that he was indifferent to, that he didn't pay attention to. That son grew up and hated him. And when you hate the the national figure, it can lead to civil war, which it did. And it was just an awful, awful... Part of the latter, you know, really, in some ways, the latter part of David's life was really overshadowed by the civil war and rebellion from his own son Absalom. That happened because of because of indifference. And then ten, we've already mentioned, his parents can exasperate their children through excessive discipline. The um, uh, let me go through that that third section. So. Parenting under the leadership of Jesus, of course, is not only what we don't do, not exasperating your children, but on the positive side. What we learn as parents under the leadership of Jesus is actually how to shepherd and how to guide and how to lead our child's heart. And we do that through raising issues and providing servant leadership in their spiritual lives, in their relationship with God, And in their relational world, which is their relationship with others. And then finally, in their emotional world. Those three years. Let's see it, Ting. Let's put that slide up if you could. I think it's the next slide. There we go. Yeah. Spiritual engagement, relational engagement, and emotional engagement. It is by staying connected, helping them connect to God, it is by helping them to connect with others. It is by helping them to be aware of what is happening under the surface of their life, in their emotions. Now, we can't do this perfectly, obviously. Many times you will know the answer. You will know what to do. But there's a sense of where we have to let our children come to their own conclusions in this. So it's a a dance. It's definitely a dance in the process of this. It's not something we learn overnight either. But the point that I'm trying to communicate to you is that God wants you to be involved not just in your children's academic life, God wants you to be involved not just in your child's athletic life, but God wants you involved in these arenas. Helping them connect with God, helping them connect with others, and helping them be aware of what's happening below the surface of their lives. It's not easy, but it happens by you having this on your radar. What's on your radar? When you think about your kids and what you want your kids to be and to accomplish, what is the cornerstone of it? And again, so many of us, again, because we're following the cues of our culture, we are thinking primarily of academic or athletic success. And we rarely think in terms of these three areas, which, by the way, this will be the key to their happiness. This will be the key to their confidence. This will be the key to their independence, is them understanding, discerning these three areas. We want to initiate conversations in these areas while still leaving space for them to grow and to develop because you'll have the answers, but you don't necessarily need to give them all the answers. They need to be able to develop some on their own, and that's a dance, and that's a matter of being led by the Spirit. Okay, i got just a few minutes left, and I want to do one more thing in my just remaining, remaining moments here. And I want to come back to a question that I think you... We can't leave unaddressed, and it's a little bit um, hard to explain, so I'll, I'll try to do this in, again, the time that we have, but I think we have to ask the question, why does Paul say fathers? And it is the Greek word here, is fathers. It's not fathers and mothers. It's not parents. It is the Greek word, father. Well, I think there's two things at play here. One is this. As Paul, or as Rich said last week, there were existing social structures within Roman society. And one observation we make about this is that Paul did not overturn those structures completely. There was a sense of where, again, the husband had leadership, had headship, was the primary one responsible for the uh, life and vitality of his family. And by addressing fathers, Paul is affirming that and he is leaving that intact. Now again, as we learned last week, Rich showed us how uh, under the leadership of Jesus, the words authority and submission took on a really different meaning than the way that they were applied here in ancient Rome. So that's true as well. But I think the second reason that he points to fathers here is that There is no question that fathers play an important role, a critical role in their children's lives. This is very counterintuitive. I don't know completely what the Roman world was like, but I know what Western culture has been like. And I've traveled to multiple countries around the world, and this pattern has played out typically. And that is is that when people think about the spiritual life of a family, when I think about engagement in church between mothers and fathers, in most cultures, and most countries, who typically is the one who is leading the family spiritually and who typically is the one sort of insisting everybody goes to church? All over the world and here in the West, it's mothers. It's typically moms. We tend to think that it's moms are the ones that provide the spiritual leadership. Did it ever occur to you that it, May not be God's ideal. That's the way. That's not the way it was supposed to be. That it's really turned upside down. Now I'm not disparaging you, you, you. Those of you who've been here long enough know the incredible esteem and value that we place on mothers, and that we place on motherhood, and that we place on women in general. So this is not about. It's not a zero sum game here about disparaging the role of mothers. But I think Paul wants to highlight the incredible role that fathers play in the formation of their children. Now, it's interesting. There have been multiple, multiple studies on this. Actually, many of them, the ones I looked at, most of them were secular studies, not studies done by religious people. And those studies confirm overwhelmingly that children take their primary cues about church and religious involvement, guess from who? Not from their mothers, from their fathers. What secular studies have shown is that mothers are particularly effective and particularly influential in the early formational nurturing years. But when children begin to differentiate themselves from their parents. You know that process? Children begin to differentiate themselves from their parents. They are a separate being. They are an independent being. They're a separate entity from their mom and dad. Guess who they look to at that moment for spiritual cues? Again, the studies overwhelmingly suggest that adolescents look to their fathers. And if dad doesn't go to church... Or, if dad goes to church but is spiritually disengaged, studies have shown that those children are far less likely to be active and engaged in church in their own future lives. So I think Paul is aware of this. I think Paul wanted, when people came into the church, I think Paul wanted fathers to see examples of loving servant leadership on the part of the men and to create a culture in the church where men are active spiritually. They're active relationally. And yes, they're active emotionally as well in the lives of others. They understand, they discern, they shepherd not only the body of Christ, but they help shepherd their children's hearts. And so fathers are very, very involved. I think that's what Paul is getting at here. So to wrap up, To close up, we've talked about children obeying their parents. That creates a foundation of sacred space of the family. That the government, that even the church, should always prize and be aware of sacred space for the family. Secondly, we looked at this specific deal of how not to exasperate your children. That would be the tendency, that would be the inclination to exasperate our children, to provoke them, to break their spirits Again, either through anger or through neglect. But what what I hinted at earlier on is that the way of Jesus provides a third way. You see, the reason that so many parents, the thought process behind so many parents who are guilty of anger is that they idolize their children. They have given their children ultimate importance in their life. They need their kids to succeed. And if they don't, when the kids frustrate them, when they don't get the academic or athletic or whatever it is, because they're idolized, because their children have a central, they are of all, not just important, which we all agree on, but their kids have become a place of ultimate importance. That breaks the spirit of a child. It'll end up breaking the spirit of a child because of the anger and the control and the obsessiveness to make them become something you want them to be. Now, on the other side, On the other part of it, it is when we idolize things, when we idolize our career, when we idolize status, when we idolize um, some accomplishment or some material gain, and we just show, we completely neglect. We're so wrapped up in our careers that we completely neglect this sacred calling of parenting. This too Breaks the spirit of our children from neglect because we are so wrapped up and involved in our careers. You see, both of them, both of them do not reflect the leadership of Jesus in our lives. Here's what the gospel does. When the gospel comes into our lives and we learn to realize that we are loved unconditionally by Christ, It breaks the foundation of idols in our lives. Yes, we love our children, but we don't have to obsess over them. And we love our children, and we might find that we're able to disengage from some of our ambitious goals in order to invest more time and energy into them. We are free from idolizing our children. We are free from idolizing things which disconnect us from others. And the gospel helps us. It makes us free to love them. It makes us free to love our children without needing their approval or without needing them to be something or do something before we love them. The gospel frees us to love them without expectation. And when you can... Love your child like that. Again, I'm not guaranteeing you that you'll have that outcome that we outlined earlier. But what I am saying, if you learn to love them like that, you are fulfilling your God-given responsibility to help make that happen. And that's all you can do. You can't do any more than that. But to fulfill your Jesus-led, God-given responsibility to accomplish that. I want to say one last thing, and then we're going to pray. And David, you you guys you can come on up if you want to as well. There are so many things here that I've we've not addressed, and including those that have been un, are unable to have children, which is a terrible pain in and of its own. Uh, and another thing is, some of you are single parents, and single moms particularly. And again, I, I hope that as a church, we can continue to find ways to come alongside of single moms. There may be some of you dads out there that are older, and your kids are grown, and you have some time. And maybe you could give a night a month or a couple nights a month to spend time with one of our children of our single moms in order to provide a positive uh, male leadership role in their lives. Some of you men that are 50 and above, your, your kids are raised, maybe you're on the downside of your career. Why don't you think about that? Consider doing that. This is how the body of Christ, again, can work and connect together to make sure that every need is met. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, may your Holy Spirit Run through this room right now, recognizing what aches and hurts, needs. Lord, some of us have this morning reflected on our own parenting. And we find that we're saddened and grieved by mistakes. Father, others of us may be reflected on or may reflect on the way that we were parented. And perhaps there was a lack of love or a lack of attention or anger. This morning is a painful reminder of the way that we were raised. Lord, some of us um, have been unable to have children or we have friends that have been unable to have kids and there's a particular pain there as well. Father, whatever the need is this morning, and there's others I'm sure I'm not even thinking about. Whatever need is there, Father, will you address that need in a way that only you can by your spirit? And will you lead us as a body to value and regard children? Make them feel a part of our body. Give them a voice in our body to respect them and value them as you did and regard them. Lord, may our homes be filled with peace. May we avoid the excesses of anger, the excess of neglect. May our homes be places where our kids receive energy and time and devotion and spiritual and emotional and relational issues are surface and are addressed. May our homes be in tune with the needs of our children might our parents be prepared to serve and to lay down their lives for their kids. Because of Jesus' leadership. Because of you turning families inside out and upside down. Father, our families, our dads, our moms need you desperately. We, we're all learning, Daddy. Daddy. We're all learning. I'm learning. Help us to grow. Help us not stagnate. My goodness, Father, what our kids need is for parents to keep growing, to stay connected vitally to the body of Christ. Father, may our parents reconnect to this relational storehouse called the church, which teaches the attitude and the language of love. Love without expectation. Love without idolizing. Father, thank you for being able to give this offering to you, to show our love for you. Thank you, Father, for the prayers and the songs that we can offer here as a statement of love. Lord, may we start again. May we be renewed. May we be revived. May we not leave here, Lord, heavy hearted. But may we embrace our forgiveness and begin again. Lord, create in us. A, help us to walk in our pure heart that You've already given us. In Jesus' name. Amen.